Hello, I'm Ronnie Lutz. This is The Liner Project. Freedom of speech! Yeah, just watch what you say. Yeah, just watch what you say. So I got a little feedback about the first episode. Had a gentleman that emailed me and said that he had binge listened to all of the shows and that I got what album Wave That Flag was on wrong. So I wanted to appreciate Dave Carrico for emailing me politely reminded me that Wave That Flag was not on the album Bottle Rockets and the Brooklyn Side. It was actually song number four on their self-titled album. So thank you, Dave, for listening and helping me out. I also wanted to do just a little pimping of the show because I don't normally do that. I've kind of forgotten to do it at the end of the shows every time. So I'll just do a little bit right now. On social media, which is TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, we are at The Liner Project, I believe. We're at the Liner Project everywhere. You can also contact me at Ronnie at thelinerproject.com. And I wanted to go over a little bit about homework. I think some people have some misconceptions about what is supposed to happen, what not supposed to happen. Here's what's supposed to happen. If you just started listening and you didn't listen to the other shows or I've communicated badly, what I need is the band and the song based on the clues that I give at the end of the episode. Those clues will lead you to the song that I'm going to talk about in the next episode. So, for instance, this week I'm going to talk about Freedom of Speech, a song by Ice-T off of his album called The Iceberg, Freedom of Speech. And what happens when you turn your homework in, we put you in a drawing, we draw out some names, and those people will get a prize from us. And that prize is an album cover with the Liner Project on the front, and on the back it will have song listings we've got smart now we've taken off the songs that haven't been released yet that way people won't know what they are on the inside it has an album little album that we will sign it has the show notes so each episode i do an outline it will have the outline printed on the liner notes that are inside and we'll put a couple of stickers in there so it's pretty fun and then i just wanted to talk a little bit about the seasons it's going to be 10 episodes bi-weekly so this is episode four so after you listen to this we'll be 40 percent done with this season they drop bi-weekly on wednesday and i wanted to talk about something that we just got hot off the presses we have a t-shirt on teespring.com just in time for october it's based on a playlist that i've had for a while weirdly enough the playlist used to be called serial killers because it had mostly serial killers on it but now it's called my playlist is killer and shauna designed a shirt that has 12 tapes on the front of it i believe it's 12 maybe it's 15 anyway it has tapes on the front of it it has song titles on it you can't put bands on there that's against the rules but it has song titles on there of some of the songs that are in that playlist in the show notes i will link to the t-shirt that you can buy on teespring and i will link to the playlist and you can listen to the songs there's a lot of great songs in there i always do a song of the day playlist that i have on apple music and spotify before october i'm going to be doing this playlist uh, my playlist is killer and it'll have all these songs in it but you can buy the shirt now and you'll know what i'm talking about when i start releasing the my playlist is killer songs on song of the day I talked about the artist already, Ice-T. He was born in New Jersey. He was born Tracy Lauren Merrow. Both of his parents died of, at a young age. They both died of heart attacks. His mom died when he was only in the third grade, and his dad died when he was 13. And then he got moved to South Central to live with an aunt. He attended Crenshaw High, and 
he made a statement that uh, he would act like he was ditching class just so that he could really ditch his friends and go back to school. While there, Tracy, not Ice-T yet, Tracy became kind of gang adjacent. He wasn't really into a gang. He never got, putting using air quotes, jumped into a gang. But he was gang adjacent with the Westside Rolling 30s original Harlem Crips, which is quite a long name. And I'm sure they had some kind of shorter name than that, but that's, that's what they're called. Westside Rolling 30s original Harlem Crips. He never actually joined, but he did learn how to do the Crip Walk and all of that kind of stuff. He did the, he was the first artist to ever do a Crip Walk on TV. And if you don't know what a Crip Walk is, it is a gang member of the Crips would, they use mostly their feet. And they're, what they're doing is, if you've ever seen one, their feet are moving all over the place. What they're actually doing is spelling the name of someone or another gang. And you'll usually see them, they could wipe that out. It could be people that they've already wiped out. It could be people that they want to hurt. Anyway, Crip Walking is, it's interesting to watch. It's fun to watch. There's actually lots of TikToks of kids doing it now. They don't even know what they're doing, I'm sure. But that's what it was originally meant for. And Ice-T was the first artist to ever do one on recorded TV. In 1979, he joined the army because he had had a daughter and he thought he would probably be going to jail if he didn't do something. So he went to the listman office and then the next thing you know, he was in the military four years. He didn't actually make it four years. He only made it two and a half years. He was part of the 25th Infantry Division. And early on in his, in his military career, him and a small group of people stole an infantry rug. I'm not exactly sure what an infantry rug is. Like, I don't know what an infantry rug looks like or why you would steal one, how expensive it is. Anyway, he ran away. He deserted. He went AWOL. When they found the rug a couple weeks later, he came back. He received a non-judicial punishment, so he didn't get in much trouble. He went ahead and he completed his advanced infantry training. He was deployed to Hawaii, and he became a squad leader. So, I mean, I guess it didn't hurt him too much, and he got an honorable discharge when he left. He liked to read the novels of a gentleman by the name of Iceberg Slim. Iceberg Slim was his favorite author. He would read them and he would be able to quote everything out of the books. He could just line for line. He loved Iceberg Slim. During the army period is when he actually gained the pseudonym Ice-T. His friends started calling him that because he liked Iceberg Slim so much. His first name was Tracy, so Ice-T became perfect. He had bought a bunch of equipment while he was in Hawaii, so he started recording and he started learning how to rap. He had heard Sugar Hill Gang, Rapper's Delight, and it was something that, in his mind, it was something that he really wanted to do. So he started making music, making raps. After he got out of the military, he started exploring hip-hop a lot more, and he started learning the ways, and he became a kind of a hit in the L.A. area as a, you know, a small-time rapper. But by 87, he released his first album. It was called Rhyme Pays, and it was the first hip-hop album to carry an explicit lyric sticker. It's a good album. It's fun to listen to. I'll put a link in the show notes to Rhyme Pays. If you like Ice-T and you've never heard Rhyme Pays, it's going to be a little different for you. His voice seems a lot higher in Rhyme Pays. It's kind of a different rapping style than he uses a little later on. But it's still fun to listen to, and it's the first one. It has a song called Six in the Morning, which is kind of considered the first gangster rap, although he takes a lot of cues from a gentleman named Schooly D. Schooly D is the kind of the first one to make any kind of gangster raps whatsoever. But Ice-T is called the OG. He made an album OG. A lot of people say that it means original gangster because he was the first one, although he will attribute a lot of what he does to a gentleman by the name of Schooly D. He then released Power, and Power was a big hit. 
in there. He also released Colors for New Jack Hustler. And then on the album that I want to talk about was called The Iceberg, Freedom of Speech. So it actually had The Iceberg at the top, Freedom of Speech at the bottom. It's kind of named both. So it was a little confusing when I was talking about the homework because it is called The Iceberg, but it is also called Freedom of Speech. This album was released in October of 1989. So from 1987 to 1989, he released Ron Pay's Power and The Iceberg. The cover had a, a guy with a shotgun in his mouth, two pistols pointed at each side of his head, and he said, the concept of that picture is, go ahead and say what you want, but here comes the government and here comes parents, and they're ready to destroy you when you open your mouth. And that's sort of what freedom of speech, just watch what you say, means. You're free, you have freedom of speech, but you don't always have freedom from the consequences. The intro to this album is by Jello Biafra. We interrupt this program with a special bulletin. America is now under martial law. All constitutional rights have been suspended. Jello Biafra is the lead singer, was the lead singer for the Dead Kennedys, which is one of my favorite punk bands. Dead Kennedys have already made a showing on my Song of the Day mixtape. I put California Uberalis on there. They're one of the best punk bands ever, so if you want to listen to some real punk, pick up some Dead Kennedys once again. There's some stuff on there that's not safe for work, so just be prepared for that. But the intro is called Shut Up! Be Happy! Kind of sets the tone for the entire album. It's just an interesting thing. And I'm going to let Ice-T tell you what he's saying in his lyrics. Freedom of speech. Let them take it from me. Next, they'll take it from you. Then what you gonna do? Let them censor books. Let them censor art. PMRC. This is where the witch hunt starts. You'll censor what we see, we read, we hear, we learn. The books will burn. You better think it out. We should be able to say anything. Our lungs were meant to shout. Say what we feel. Yell out what's real. Even though it may not bring mass appeal. Your opinion is yours. My opinion is mine. If you don't like what I'm saying, fine. But don't close it. Always keep an open mind. A man who fails to listen is blind. We only got one right left in the world today. Let me have it or throw the Constitution away. Some of my favorite lines here, he talks about censoring books and censoring art and PMRC. This is when the witch hunt starts. The PMRC is actually what we're going to talk about today. I could have talked about amendment in the Constitution, freedom of speech, but I kind of wanted to talk about the PMRC. He talks about at the end of it, There's only we only have one right left in the world today. Let me have it or throw the Constitution away. Some fantastic lines, very poignant. We're here to talk about Tipper Gore. And the PMRC. If you are old enough to remember Tipper Gore, she was the wife who at the time was a Senator Al Gore, who became vice president and who ran for president later. Uh, they are no longer married now, but at the time that's what she was. PMRC started in 1985, the Parents Music Resource Center. That's what PMRC stands for. Four women started it. They were known as the Washington Wives. Like I said, Tipper Gore, wife of Senator Al Gore at the time. Susan Baker, who was the wife of Treasury Secretary James Baker. Remember, we're in the Ronald Reagan era. James Baker was his Treasury Secretary, Republican. Tipper Gore was Democrat. Pam Howard was the wife of Washington Realtor Raymond Howard. And Sally Nevius, or Nevius, I'm not sure, the wife of City Council Chairman John Nevius. Three women other than Tipper were all Republican, and Tipper was Democrat. So apparently, Republicans and Democrats had been able to work together at some point. At its height, it had 22 people, and it eventually shut down in the 90s, so it never, it didn't last a long time. What they suggested was that the RIAA, the Recording Industry Association of America, would make a rating system, sort of like the MPAA, the movie, whatever that stands for, the movie thing. <laughs> I used to know, but I don't know now. They wanted to have songs that had violence would be rated V, songs that have a cult 
would be rated O, songs with sex, S, language L. So they wanted to have kind of a different system. And they created this list called the Filthy 15. So this is 85 or 86 when they created it, I'm not sure. The songs they have are kind of funny. What happened was, Tipper Gore walked in on her 11-year-old daughter listening to a song by Prince called Darling Nikki. And Darling Nikki is apparently a filthy song. I don't really remember Darling Nikki too much, but I know that reading a little bit about it, it was about female masturbation, and that made Tipper Gore mad. They came up with 15 other song, or 14 other songs. One of them was Sheena Easton's Sugar Walls, Judas Priest Eat Me Alive, Madonna was on there, Dress You Up, Cindy Lauper's She Bop, which I remember that song, didn't have a clue it was sexually explicit until I read this. Twisted Sisters, We're Not Gonna Take It, which is kind of a fun one because it actually doesn't have any violence in the song. And we're going to talk a little bit more about Dee Snyder in just a little bit. In August of 1985, 19 record companies agreed to put parental guidance explicit lyrics on their album. So they agreed to do this voluntarily. But before that got totally put into place, there was a Senate hearing on September 19, 1985. Put some links in the show notes to the Senate hearing. You should definitely watch some of it. It is fantastic material to watch. The three people that were called to talk in front of Congress were Frank Zappa, John Denver, and Dee Snyder. So you can kind of figure that Frank Zappa and Dee Snyder are on the side of freedom of speech, and maybe John Denver was on the side of the PMRC, although he wasn't, which was kind of interesting. John Denver actually said that that which is denied becomes that is what is most desired. And that which is hidden becomes that which is most interesting. Consequently, a great deal of time and energy is spent trying to get at what is being kept from you. He also had a part in his statement about his song Rocky Mountain High, which I'm sure most of you have heard, and seems to be the most innocuous song in the world, and it actually is, from what he says. When he wrote the song, he was talking about being in Colorado, waking up and looking at the mountains, and just thinking about how high you are up and how beautiful it is. The PMRC wanted to put that as drug use, so he stated that even he had been a victim of this PMRC witch hunt. Then you have Dee Snyder, who is the lead singer of Twisted Sister. He was amazing. Amazing. He came in dressed in jeans, a shirt with no sleeves, a, a denim jacket with no sleeves, and his hair was teased out as big as it could possibly be with makeup on. And I can imagine that Congress called him thinking that he was going to be a pushover. Twisted Sister song, Under the Blade, was one of the songs that Tipper Gore said had sadomasochism, bondage, and rape in it. Dee Snyder stated that that's not what the song was about at all. Their guitar player was going to have surgery, and Under the Blade was about how you would feel if you were laying on a table and someone was going to cut you with a scalpel. Dee Snyder stated that the only sadomasochism, bondage, and rape in that song was in the mind of Mrs. Gore. Miss Gore, sorry, is what he called her. Which, if you watch the video, you will see Al Gore ask him some questions later, and it's very good. Very good. Al Gore is not happy with Dee Snyder. He also makes a statement that full responsibility for defending his children falls on the shoulders of his wife and him because there is no one else capable of making these judgments for him. Interestingly enough, he's still married to his wife, and Al Gore and Tipper Gore aren't married anymore. Not saying anything, not making any judgments, just uh, throwing it out there. Dee Snyder, during his statement, said that he would do three things as a parent to make sure that his kids did not listen to songs that he didn't want them to listen to. He would first look at the album cover, 
because most album covers already tell you what's going on. If he couldn't get anything by that, he would look at the lyrics that were inside the liner notes back then. And then the third thing he would do is listen to all the songs, and he would see if they were what his kids should be listening to. I think that makes perfect sense. If you're the parent and you want to stop that, then you can you can do those three things. A little harder nowadays with everything being on... Well, actually, I guess it's not harder now. You can just search the song in on the internet, and it will show you exactly what the lyrics say. If you use a website like Genius Lyrics, it'll even tell you what all the lyrics mean, or at least what they think they mean. I don't know where they get their information from. So I guess it's actually easier now. One of the things that Dee Snyder was talking about during here, and actually all of the artists, were that if the explicit lyrics were put onto the album, then places would refuse to sell them, and that would be like censorship. And ultimately that became that came true. Walmart did refuse to sell albums with the parental advisory stickers on there. The RIAA agreed to put parental advisory of its own discretion on albums. Effectively, the PMRC won in a sense that the albums got stickered. They didn't win in a sense that it had each individual reason why the album was stickered, but they did have stickers, and it did come true that Walmart refused to sell the albums, and it was a kind of a form of censorship, especially at the time on the radio, there were a lot of record labels that would push out edited songs so that the record would get played on the radio. The artists didn't have any control of this at the time. Albums did get censored. Some of the interesting things that happened after this, kind of as a result of it, Frank Zappa had a Grammy-winning album called Jazz from Hell that was labeled, and it was an instrumental. It had zero words in it, but it was labeled printer advisory. I'm assuming because it had Hell in the title, not 100% sure. In 1990, Oprah Winfrey show, back in those days, everyone had a talk show. Geraldo, Oprah, Mari, Arsenio, Hall, Jenny Jones, Ricky Lake, Donahue. I think there were as many talk show hosts as there were people, but Oprah Winfrey had Jello Biafra, Ice-T, and Nelson George versus Juan Williams, Tipper Gore, and Rabbi Abraham Cooper. They had a, and I don't know, 40-minute show together. Tipper Gore and Ice-T are side-by-sides. You've listened to the song, Freedom of Speech, and I didn't play the parts about Tipper Gore because they were quite explicit and wouldn't have made it onto my podcast. But Tipper Gore and Ice-T sat side-by-side. Obviously, they didn't come up with any <laughs> they didn't come up with any answers, but it's a fun watch. They kinda go back and forth and Jello Biafra and true, true Jello Biafra style goes kinda off the rail sometimes. Ice T seems to be a fairly intelligent person. I think Tipper Gordon handles herself very well. I don't necessarily disagree with a lot of the stuff that Tipper Gore is saying. It is hard to decide who is the person that's going to be the gatekeeper for music, but overall it was a it was an interesting show, fun to watch. And then the last thing that kind of, I don't know, the last kind of PMRC protest, because the PMRC kind of ended around this time, in 1993, Rage Against the Machine came out for Lollapalooza completely naked. They had their mouths taped over with duct tape, and, they, and each one of them had one letter for PMRC. And they stood on stage for 15 minutes, which was all the amount of time that they were supposed to have, so they never played a single song and sit there for 15 minutes naked. Their fans were a little angry, obviously. And then that's kind of where the PMRC ended. And here are the clues for the next episode. This next episode is near and dear to my heart because it is, the song is named after the county where I grew up at, where I lived 24 years of my life at. That's one clue, although you probably don't know which county I lived in. This band is from Belleville, Illinois. 
They started a sort of a genre of music. They are basically the creators of this genre. They have been mentioned in this podcast in the trailer. So if you haven't listened to that and you need some more clues, they are in the trailer. Talked about in the first episode. The county they are talking about is a county that is on the Mississippi River. It is in the southeastern part of the state. It is named after the capital of Spain, but it's not said like the capital of Spain. That should give you all the answers that you need. I grew up there, named after the capital of Spain. The county is in the south and eastern part of Missouri. The band is from Belleville, Illinois. Once again, I want to thank everyone for listening. I'll talk to you in a couple weeks.